The Darkest Page Podcast presents Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman's The Twelfth Guest, Part 2. The women were all in the kitchen, and they stopped and stared. Why, father, said his wife, where have you put it? I put it here in this top drawer, and it ain't there. Let me look, said Maria in a confident tone, but even Maria's energetic and self-assured researches failed. Well, it ain't here, she said. I don't know what you've done with it. I don't believe you put it in that drawer, father, said his wife. It was in there two weeks ago. I see it. Then you took it out afterwards. I ain't laid hands on it. You must have. It couldn't have gone off without hands. You know you're kind of forgetful, father. I guess I know when I took a paper out on a drawer, I know a little something yet. Well, I don't suppose there'll be any trouble about it, will there? said Mrs. Childs. Of course, he knows he gave the note and had the money. I don't know as there'll be any trouble, but I'd rather get a hundred dollar than had it happen. After dinner, Caleb shaved, put on his other coat and hat, and trudged soberly up the road to Cyrus Morris's. Cyrus Morris was an elderly man who had quite a local reputation for wealth and business shrewdness. Caleb, who was lowly natured and easily impressed by another's importance, always made a call upon him quite a formal affair and shaved and dressed up. He was absent about an hour today. When he returned, he went into the sitting room where the women sat with their sewing. He dropped into a chair and looked straight ahead with his forehead knitted. The women dropped their work and looked at him, and then at each other. What did he say, father? Mrs. Childs asked at length. Say? He's a rascal, that's what he is. And I'll tell him so, too. Ain't he gonna pay it? No, he ain't. Why, father, I don't believe it. You didn't get hold of it straight, said his wife. You'll see. Why, what did he say? He didn't say anything. Doesn't he remember he had the money and gave the note and has been paying interest on it? queried Maria. He just laughed and said, Twan't according to law to pay unless I show the note and give it up to him. He said he couldn't be sure, but I'd want to pay him it over again. I know where that note is. Caleb's voice had deep meaning in it. The women stared at him. Where? It's in Cyrus Morris's desk, that's where it is. Why, father, you're crazy. No, I ain't crazy, nother. I know what I'm talking about. I... It's just where you put it, interrupted Maria, taking up her sewing with a twitch, and I won't lay the blame onto anybody else. You ought to have looked out for a paper like that, said his wife. I guess I should have if it had been me. If you've gone and lost all that money through your carelessness, you've done it. That's all I've got to say. I don't see what we're going to do. Caleb bent forward and fixed his eyes upon the women. He held up his shaking hand impressively. If you'll stop talking just a minute, said he, I'll tell you what I was gonna to. Now I'd like to know just one thing. Once Cyrus Morris alone in that kitchen as much as 15 minutes a week ago today, didn't you leave him there while you went to look after me? Want the key in the desk? Answer me that. His wife looked at him with cold surprise and severity. I wouldn't talk in any such way as that if I was you, father, said she. It don't show a Christian spirit. 
is just laying the blame of your own carelessness onto somebody else. You're all the one that's to blame, and when it comes to it, you'd never ought to let Cyrus Morris have the money anyhow. I could have told you better. I knew what kind of man he was. He's a rascal, said Caleb, catching eagerly at the first note of foreign condemnation in his wife's words. He ought to be put in state's prison. I don't think much of his relations, neither. I don't want nothing to do with them, and I don't want none of my folks to. Paulina's soft cheeks flushed. Then she suddenly spoke out as she'd never spoken in her life. It doesn't make it out because he's a bad man that his relations are, said she. You haven't any right to speak so, father, and I guess you won't stop me having anything to do with them if you want to. She was all pink and trembling. Suddenly she burst out crying and ran out of the room. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, father, exclaimed Mrs. Childs. I didn't think of her taking on it so, muttered Caleb humbly. It didn't mean nothing. Caleb did not seem like himself through the following days. His simple old face took on an expression of strained thought, which made it look strange. He was tottering on a height of mental effort and worry which was almost above the breathing capacity of his innocent and placid nature. Many a night he rose, lighted a candle and tremulously fumbled over his desk until morning, in the vain hope of finding the missing note. One night, while he was so searching, someone touched him softly on the arm. He jumped and turned. It was Christine. She had stolen in silently. Oh, it's you, said he. Ain't you found it? Found it? Nor. And I shan't another. He turned away from her and pulled out another drawer. The girl stood watching him wistfully. It was a big yellow paper, the old man went on. A big yellow paper, and I wrote on the back on Cyrus Morris's note and the interest he'd paid was set down on the back on two. It's too bad you can't find it, said she. It ain't no use looking, it ain't here, and that's the hull in it. It's in his desk. I ain't got no more doubt on that nothing at all. Where does he keep his desk? In his kitchen, it's just like this one. Would this key open it? I don't know but twould, but it ain't no use. I suppose I'll have to lose it. Caleb sobbed silently and wiped his eyes. A few days later he came, all breathless, into the sitting room. He could hardly speak, but he held out a folded yellow paper, which fluttered and blew in his unsteady hand like a yellow maple leaf in an autumn gale. Look a here! he gasped. Look a here! Why, for goodness sake, what's the matter? cried Maria. She and Mrs. Charles and Paulina were there, sewing peacefully. Just look a here! Why, for mercy's sake, what is it, father? Are you crazy? It's the note. What note? Don't get so excited, father. Cyrus Morris's note. That's what note is. Look a here. The women all arose and pressed around him to look at it. Where did you find it, father? Asked his wife, who was quite pale. I suppose it was just where you put it, broke in Maria with sarcastic emphasis. No, it was another... Don't you go to crowing too quick, Maria. That paper was just where I told you twas. What do you think of that, hey? Oh, father, you didn't. It was lying right there in his desk. That's where twas, just where I knew. Father, you didn't go over there and take it. 
The three women stared at him with dilated eyes. No, I didn't. Who did? The man jerked his head toward the kitchen door. She. Who? Christini. How did she get it? Asked Maria in her magisterial manner, which no astonishment could agitate. She saw Cyrus and Ms. Morris ride past, and then she run over there, and she got in through the window and got it. That's how. Caleb braced himself like a stubborn child in case any exception were taken to it all. It beats everything I ever heard, said Mrs. Childs faintly. Next time you'll believe when I tell you, said Caleb. The whole family were in a state of delight over the recovery of the note. Still, Christine got rather hesitating gratitude. She was sharply questioned and rather reproved than otherwise. This theft, which could hardly be called a theft, aroused the old distrust of her. It served him just right, and it wasn't stealing because it didn't belong to him, and I don't know what you would have done if she hadn't taken it, said Maria, but for all that, it went all over me. So it did over me, said her sister. I felt just as you did, and I felt as if it were real ungrateful too, when the poor child did it just for us. But there were no such misgivings for poor Caleb. With his money and his triumph over iniquitous Cyrus Morris, he was wholly and unquestioningly grateful. It was a blessed day when we took that little girl in, he told his wife. I hope it'll prove so, said she. Paulina took her lover's desertion quietly. She had just as many soft smiles for everyone. There was no alteration in her gentle, obliging ways. Still her mother used to listen at her door, and she knew that she cried instead of sleeping many a night. She was not able to eat much either, although she tried to with pleasant willingness when her mother urged her. After a while she was plainly grown thin, and her pretty colour had faded. Her mother could not keep her eyes from her. Sometimes I think I'll go and ask Willard myself what this kind of work means. She broke out with an abashed abruptness one afternoon. She and Paulina happened to be alone in the sitting room. You'll kill me if you do, mother, said Paulina. Then she began to cry. Well, I won't do anything you don't want me to, of course, said her mother. She pretended not to see that Paulina was crying. Willard had stopped coming about the 1st of October. The time wore on until it was the 1st of December, and he had not once been to the house, and Paulina had not exchanged a word with him in the meantime. One night, she had a fainting spell. She fell heavily while crossing the sitting room floor. They got her onto the lounge and she soon revived, but her mother had lost all control of herself. She came out into the kitchen and paced the floor. Oh, my darling, she wailed. She's going to die. What shall I do? All the child I've got in the world. And he's killed her, that scamp. I wish I could get my hands on him. Oh, Paulina, Paulina, to think it should come to this. Christine was in the room and she listened with eyes dilated and lips parted. She was afraid that shrill wail would reach Paulina in the next room. She'll hear you she said finally. Mrs. Childs grew quieter at that, and presently Maria called her into the sitting room. Christine stood thinking for a moment. Then she got her hood and shawl, put on her rubbers and went out. She shut the door softly so no one should hear. When she stepped forth, she plunged knee-deep into snow. 
It was snowing hard, as it had been all day. It was a cold storm too. The wind was bitter. Christine waded out of the yard and down the street. She was so small and light that she staggered when she tried to step firmly in some tracks ahead of her. There was a full moon behind the clouds, and there was a soft white light in spite of the storm. Christine kept on down the street, in the direction of Willard Morris's house. It was a mile distant. Once in a while she stopped and turned herself about, that the terrible wind might smite her slender back instead of her face. When she reached the house, she waded painfully through the yard to the side door and knocked. Pretty soon it opened and Willard stood there in the entry with a lamp in his hand. Good evening, said he, doubtfully peering out. Good evening. The light shone on Christine's face. The snow clung to her soft hair so it was quite white. Her cheeks had a deep soft colour like roses. Her blue eyes blinked a little in the lamplight but seemed rather to flicker like jewels or stars. She panted softly through her parted lips. She stood there with the snowflakes driving in lights past her and she looks like an angel came swiftly into William Morris's head before he spoke. Oh, it's you, he said. Christine nodded. Then they stood waiting. Why, won't you come in? said Willard, finally, with an awkward blush. I declare I never thought. I ain't very polite. She shook her head. No, thank you, said she. Did you want to see Mother? No. The young man stared at her in increasing perplexity. His own fair, handsome face got more and more flushed. His forehead wrinkled. Was there anything you wanted? No, I guess not. Christine replied with a slow softness. Willard shifted the lamp into his other hand and sighed. It's a pretty hard storm, he remarked with an air of forced patience. Yes. Didn't you find it terrible hard walking? Some. Willard was silent again. See here, they're all well down at your house, ain't they? Said he, finally. A look of anxious interest had sprung into his eyes. He had begun to take alarm. I guess so. Suddenly he spoke impetuously. Say, Christine, I don't know what you came here for. You can tell me afterward. I don't know what you'll think of me, but... Well, I want to know something. Say, well, I haven't been round for quite a while. You don't suppose they've cared much? Any of them? I don't know. Well, I don't suppose you do, but you might have noticed. Say, Christine, you don't think she, you know whom I mean, cared anything about my coming? Do you? I don't know, said she again softly with her eyes fixed warily on his face. Well, I guess she didn't. She wouldn't have said what she did if she had. Christine's eyes gave a sudden gleam. What did she say? Said she wouldn't have anything more to do with me. 
said the young man bitterly. She was afraid I would be up to just such tricks as my uncle was. Trying to cheat her father. That was too much for me. I wasn't going to stand that from any girl. He shook his head angrily. She didn't say it. Yes, she did. Her own father told my uncle so. Mother was in the next room and heard it. No, she didn't say it, the girl repeated. How do you know? I heard her say something different, Christine told him. I'm going right up there, cried he when he heard that. Wait a minute and I'll go along with you. I don't know I should better tonight, Christine said, looking out toward the road evasively. She ain't been very well tonight. Who? Paulina, what's the matter? She had a fainting spell just before I came out, answered Christine with stiff gravity. Oh, is she real sick? She was some better. Don't you suppose I could see her just a few minutes? I won't stay to tire her, said the young man eagerly. I don't know. I must, anyhow. Christine fixed her eyes on him with a solemn sharpness. What makes you want to? What makes me want to? Why, I'd give ten years to see her five minutes. Well, maybe you could come over a few minutes. Wait a minute, cried Willard. I'll get my hat. I'd better go first, I guess. The pile of fire will be to light. Then I had better wait? I guess so. Then I'll be along in about an hour. Say, you haven't said what you wanted. Christine was off the step. It ain't any matter, murmured she. Say, she didn't send you. No, she didn't. I didn't mean that. I didn't suppose she did, said Willard with an abashed air. What did you want, Christine? There's something I want you to promise, said she suddenly. What's that? Don't you say anything about Mr. Childs. Why? How can I help it? He's an old man, and he was so worked up he didn't know what he was saying. They'll all scold him. Don't say anything. Well, I won't say anything. I don't know what I'm going to tell her, though. Christine turned to go. You didn't say what twas you wanted, called Willard again. But she made no reply. She was pushing through the deep snow out of the yard. It was quite early yet, only a few minutes after seven. It was eight when she reached home. She entered the house without anyone seeing her. She pulled off her snowy things and went into the sitting room. Paulina was alone there. She was lying on the lounge. She was very pale, but she looked up and smiled when Christine entered. Christine brought the fresh outdoor air with her. Paulina noticed it. Where have you been? whispered she. Then Christine bent over her and talked fast in a low tone. Presently, Paulina raised herself and sat up. Tonight, cried she in an eager whisper. Her cheeks grew red. Yes, I'll go make the parlour fire. It's all ready to light. Suddenly, Paulina threw her arms around Christine and kissed her. Both girls blushed. I don't think I said one thing to him that you wouldn't have wanted me to, said Christine. You didn't ask him to come? No, I didn't. Honest. 
When Mrs. Childs entered a few minutes later, she found her daughter standing before the glass. Why, Paulina, cried she. I feel a good deal better, mother, said Paulina. Ain't you going to bed? I guess I won't quite yet. I've got it all ready for you. I thought you wouldn't feel like sitting up. I guess I will, a little while. Soon the doorbell rung with a sharp peal. Everybody jumped. Paulina rose and went to the door. Mrs. Childs and Maria listening heard Willard's familiar voice, then the opening of the parlour door. It's him! gasped Mrs. Childs. She and Maria looked at each other. It was about two hours before the soft murmured voices in the parlour ceased. The outer door closed with a thud and Paulina came into the room. She was blushing and smiling, but she could not look in anyone's face at first. Well, said her mother, who was it? Willard, it's all right. It was not long before the fine sewing was brought out again, and presently two silk dresses were brought for Paulina. It was known about that she was to be married on Christmas Day. Christine assisted in the preparation. All the family called to mind afterward the obedience so ready as to be loving when she yielded to their biddings during those few hurried weeks. She sewed, she made cake, she ran errands, she wearied herself joyfully for the happiness of this other young girl. About a week before the wedding, Christine, saying goodnight when about to retire one evening, behaved strangely. They remembered it afterward. She went up to Paulina and kissed her when saying goodnight. It was something which she had never before done. Then she stood in the door, looking at them all. There was a sad, almost a solemn expression on her fair girlish face. Why, what's the matter? said Maria. Nothing, said Christine. Good night. That was the last time they ever saw her. The next morning Mrs. Childs, going to call her, found her room vacant. There was great alarm. When they did not find her in the house nor the neighbourhood, people were aroused, and there was a search instigated. It was prosecuted eagerly, but to no purpose. Then advertisements were sent to the papers. Every effort was made to find her. But when Christine stood in the sitting room door and said goodnight, her friends had their last sight of her and sound of her. Their twelfth guest had departed from their hospitality forever. Thank you for listening to the Darkest Page podcast. This has been The Twelfth Guest, Part 2, by Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman. This episode was made possible with the support of the librarians of The Darkest Page, Alex Smith and Tonks. I have been your host, and I wish you pleasant dreams. <laughs>